Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon and good evening, Undying Light listeners. Welcome to another new show. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we're back at it once again in a Friday episode, which means we are going to be taking our time going through the Bible. And in this particular series, we are focusing uh, on the least preached and talked and taught about books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And so I titled the series, Least of These, even though I, I wish that would show up when you go and actually uh, see the you know podcast title, but it doesn't. But that's not a big deal. But anywho, my goal is to work us through a various group of books and and writings and uh, unpack a lot. So we've gone through a lot of books so far. We're working on Joel right now, and we will be in the second chapter for today's episode, and then we will uh, go to Joel chapter three uh, next week, and then I have a special guest. Uh, who we recorded, a patron of mine, uh, joined me, and we had a uh, hodgepodge discussion on various topics. And, uh, you know, and again, uh, for what time allows, we covered a variety of uh, items and then a lot of things that we've uh, left undiscussed that we definitely uh, are looking at taking on in our next um, time we get on the mic together. But that's a great episode. I'm looking forward to uh, you, the patrons who have heard it so far, have all enjoyed it, and I think that's uh, wonderful. So I'm very excited for that, and uh, I'm very much, again, ex- uh, excited for all of this stuff coming up. We've got uh, an interview with Brian Wolfmiller that's been released. We have an interview with Flame coming up, and we're continuing our journey through the Lutheran um, theology, under unpacking the Book of Concord and unpacking the sacramental view of uh, the Lutheran view, which again goes much against uh, what the modern church is. And it's funny because as I record this episode, just a few days ago, I put a reel up and uh, I, it, it just simply says, you know, the real audio was like, name something that you would say you'd get a lot of hate for. 
And so I just quoted First Peter 3.21, the portion where Peter says, now baptism saves you. And, and I put that up in the top and I pointed to it, you know, and uh, I had to shut off comments because within like 45 minutes, I had 50, 60 comments, uh, just people going, going after me. And, and if you've listened to this show long enough, you know that everything I do is rooted in scripture. And, and you'll, you'll hear that as the episode with flame coming out, um, in, in the coming weeks around unpacking the doctrine, but most importantly, instead of looking at our presuppositional understanding of what, you know, maybe our denominational teaching maybe, but actually looking at and understanding, uh, from what the Bible tells us, what did the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And what did the early church teach and hold and, and, and understand? And that's one big piece, uh, to this whole puzzle is that we've been kind of engraved into us by people who've come before us and they have taught us, you know, a, a low view of the sacraments. And, and I've seen that in so many conversations and the most popular one, most popular comment that was kind of shocked at me was baptism is not, has nothing to do with salvation, has nothing to do with God's grace. It is a outward demonstration of an inward change. And I'm just, I, I think to myself, every time I hear that, how sad is it that the church has such a low view of this? Because see, in the early church, baptism and the Lord's Supper were such a sacred movement. But nowadays, it's just brushed aside. And most are just probably don't even practice it. And if they do, it's once a year. Uh, in fact, you know, I got a lot of respect for the uh, Baptist uh, friend here in town. He's a preacher at the Baptist church. And him and I are you know, great friends. And But he, I believe, only does it once or twice a year. And that's just kind of the way that those uh, types of uh, churches run that. Uh, I remember um, the big church I came from in, back in Illinois, they would do it twice or they do it once a month and they had a, a particular Saturday that they, that they would do the baptisms on, you know, now for me uh, it's, it's whenever I have, you know, a, a birth in the congregation where, you know, a small church, the church I was at in Illinois was large. It was three or 4,000 people. Uh, mine is like a hundred. So when, when somebody is born uh, and they want to be baptized, we, we will, you know, set up a date that's, uh, correlates with the parent's desire and baptize the child. And, and I even had the opportunity to baptize a teenager, uh, last year. I thought that was wonderful. So those are, you know, one of the few moments that, uh, really comfort me as a Lutheran pastor is when we get to perform baptisms, but that, so that's a, a heated discussion. And, and a lot of people were really angry around it because, uh, they, they tried to tell me that, uh, Peter didn't really mean this. Um, and, and then I had somebody quote the MacArthur study Bible at me and just shuck out first Peter three twenty one, and, uh, and how John tries to weave around the statement of what Peter's saying. And he's basically equating it to saying that Peter wasn't really talking about the baptism that the Christian takes on, but in more or less, it's just a, uh, piece of what Noah went through. And so he's, he, he keeps going back to the, uh, to the aspect of the flood in his commentary on that passage. When in reality, if we look at how Peter addresses it, we look at uh, not only just there, but in Acts chapter two, and then we go to Romans six and Romans seven and uh, Ephesians five, and even go back into the gospels, Mark 16, Matthew 28, we see baptism has a significant value. And it has, and, and the only time we see it correlated to the flood is 
in First uh, Peter three twenty one. In fact, Paul actually equates baptism to being uh, to the Red Sea parting because the Israelites were then baptized into Moses. Now us Christians are being baptized into Christ. So, you know, drawing us that parallel for us. But anyways, I, I just thought it was interesting because you know I put that up and then like two hundred and fifty people unfollow me, and I'm like, you know what, great. I, I don't need that. And so this is not, you know, where I want to be with my, uh, with my, you know, following. If you don't like the fact that I'm a Lutheran, uh, preacher, if you don't like the fact that I'm unapologetically Lutheran, then I, I don't, you don't need to be following me. It's just not, it's not there. Go follow your Calvinist Baptist reformed people and, and, and drink up that coffee and stand in that echo chamber. But I do enjoy those who do follow me that are not Lutheran, and we have great conversations. Those who are willing to step outside of the echo chamber and actually listen to another uh, understanding of Scripture. And this is why this this whole series on the Lutheran theology has become incredibly important to me, because many people don't truly understand it. And, and honestly, up until a couple of years ago, I didn't either. You know, I came from a Calvinist background. If you listen to some of the early shows on the dying light, I was a five point tulip preaching fire breathing Calvinist. And it just took time and study to unpack that. So, uh, if you are interested in joining this movement, come and uh, be a part of the undying light ministries team and join us on Patreon for a dollar a month or $10 a year. The more people we get and the quicker we get to our goals, we're going to actually start assigning, um, kind of some campaigns, if you would goals, that we want to orchestrate. And so in the coming weeks, you'll probably see some stuff on Instagram and the premises to, you know, be focused on the patron growth. And uh, once we reach certain uh, goals, then we'll do some giveaways and we'll do some, you know, perks and things like that. But we are getting into the summer months. So we've got a lot uh, coming at you through patron and, uh, and I, and I invite you to come and join us. Dollar a month, patron.com forward slash undying light. Uh, and the other one too is, you know, you know, the spew of logos, Bible software, get yourself a copy logos.com forward slash undying light. And that's all I'm going to give you uh, today in terms of uh, commercials. I actually had a nice little long rant on Lutheran faith there for a while. So uh, tickling your taste buds. Now we're going to get into the text at hand and we're going to unpack Joel chapter two as we continue working through Joel. Uh, and then I've got it slated. Um, I believe it's June 17th. It's the Friday that the interview with April will air. And then after that interview, we're going to look at Amos and we're going to get into the introduction for that. And then we're going to go look at the chapters there following. So that's uh, kind of the tentative schedule coming at you. And again, um, this episode will air. And then I believe next Tuesday, this coming Tuesday's episode will be the interview with Brian Wolfmuller. And he's a Lutheran pastor in Texas. And so we unpack a whole variety of Lutheran theology on that episode. Fantastic conversation. I absolutely enjoyed talking with him. And then uh, in two weeks' time, the the interview part two with Flame will be uh, launched. And so I'm very excited for you guys to hear that one too. So that's what we got coming up. I hope you guys enjoy these episodes. Again, if you do, please subscribe, uh, leave reviews, send me some comments. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, Any suggestions as well? Crit- uh, criticism is perfectly fine. If you don't like the show, then please tell me why you don't like it. I'm, I'm all open for that. But that is that. So we'll, let's get into Joel chapter 2. All right, here is Joel chapter 
2, beginning in the first verse. This is a section is titled, The Day of the Lord. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful people, their like has never been before, nor will there ever be again after. Through all the years of all generations, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them is like behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As the as with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like a crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run up the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Verse 12, before uh, verse 12, return to the Lord. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who keep, who knows whether he will not turn or relent and leave a, bless, a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call an assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples where is their god verse 18 the lord had pity then the lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people and the lord answered and said to his people behold i am sending to you grain wine and oil and you will be satisfied and i will no more make you a reproach among the nations i will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea and stretch the foul smell of him will rise. For he has done great deed great for he has done great things. Fear not, O Lord, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication he has poured down for for you abundant rain the early and latter rain as before the thrashing floor shall be full of grain and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil 
I will restore to you the years. Then the swarming locust has eaten the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Verse 28, the Lord will pour out his spirit. And I will pour and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and the young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun shall be burnt, shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. It is the end of Joel chapter 2. As I mentioned in the introductory episode, 32 verses, so it's a bit longer of of the chapters. In fact, chapter 3, to close out the book, is only 21 verses, so it's not near as long. But there's a lot happening here. In chapter 2, we open uh, right out of the gates with this day of the Lord. And Joel is describing for us what is going to happen. Now, here's some interesting things. We've talked about judgment um, quite often here on the show. We've talked about the great and awesome day of the Lord. We've talked about uh, this kind of uh, impending judgment that is going to come against the peoples now we talked about isolated judgment like when on the episode of Obadiah where we see that that is an isolated judgment that the Lord is giving and then we also acknowledge that there is going to be the great and final day to which a lot of these seem to echo here in chapter two and so we get in verse one this this trumpet blast blow a trumpet in Zion right if we go to Matthew 24 and 25, and we go to uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, and we go to the book of Revelation. The trumpet blast is a significant event that happens and ushers essentially in the last days. It is an alarm and an alerting for people of the impending disaster to come. But for those in Christ, as the end of the chapter tells us, those in Christ will be saved. They will uh, be pulled out of that. Now, this doesn't give us pictures of a rapture, and nor really do we see that anywhere in Scripture. But what we do understand is through the return of Christ, the sky shattering open, and he sends out his angels to, to the four corners of the earth to collect his elect, collect those who believe. That then classified as a rapture. Those who are dead in Christ will be called up to him. Those who are alive will then meet him in the sky. But... The kickoff to all of that is the trumpet blast. And so the trumpet blast here is, is a significant moment. And so it's something that is used in Scripture throughout Scripture as an alert or a, uh, a warning to the people of a coming disaster. 
All right, so let's continue on here. This uh, great and powerful people in verse 2, we have another personification. Locusts are so numerous that they blacken the sky and bring as much devastation as an invading army. And then in verse 3, we have a fire, like the wildfires coming after, going back to chapter 1, the locusts consume everything in their path. A vivid before and after picture uh, with the Garden of Eden being described compared to the desolation that Judah will become after the locusts and wildfires pass through. And the lands now seem lavishly abundant. So the land currently is like the Garden of Eden, producing fruit and being abundant. And now after the locusts, the judgment of God, it's going to be desolate and barren. And so the locusts that come here in verse 4 are going to make this sound of charging chariots. They're going to be, there will be so many of them that it will be um, loud and chaotic. Uh, the chariots, the war horses and chariots are covered in armor. So the exoskeletons of the locusts will give them a, an appearance of an armed force. That is equating to chapter uh, verse five here. People are struck with dread and despair that the blood leaves their faces and they look paled. Further examples of Joel personifying the locust swarm follow uh, here in these verses. Uh, the city walls are no obstacle for them. In fact, they will overrun Judah more quickly than a human army could. And so they will climb the walls. They will jump through the, through the windows. They will crawl through the cracks. And they will consume everything in their path. Uh, the armies would clash as units of great sh- in a great shoving match. The army that broke the walls or broke the other's wall or shields and spears would win. And so this is the locust triumphing or triumphantly breaking through the defense here, if you would, uh, going into the city. They, as verse nine gives us, they leap upon the city. They run up the walls and climb into the houses and enter through the windows like a thief. So uh, verse 11 uh, the Lord tells us that it is his army. Ironically, the locusts rather than an angelic host serve as God's army. And we see that again in, in uh, the book of Exodus, and we see it again in Revelation. God uses locusts in order to judge Judah's unfaithfulness. The day of the Lord, we talked about that a little bit last week. We talked about it numerous times in other episodes. Um, but this is a continual description of this judgment that God is bringing upon uh, Judah, the locust hordes that God threatens to unleash on Judah will be as devastating as the invasion of a human army. The scorched earth Joel describes continues to have relevance today. The natural disasters and warfare looming ever larger. We do well to place our trust in the world's only hope, the creator and redeemer of us all. Through his son's death and resurrection, God promises to raise us up from the dead and give us eternal life and a new heaven and new earth. So that is the beauty uh, of the of the gospel that can still be found in even the midst of all of this because we know that even in the midst of all the warnings of chaos that would come through uh, the Old Testament, God is still faithful to his people. So in verse 12, we have this cry again to return to the Lord. I said in a couple episodes uh, a while back, you know, in terms of fasting, fasting is often done in a mournful and weeping fashion. It's generally done with repentance. Um, If we go back to Jonah and we read through and listen to those episodes, we talked about um, them putting on sackcloth and ash and fasting because 
That's the equivalent. Fasting is a great thing in terms of like, you know, you're, you're praying through something and you, you're, you're seeking God's will. And so you fast through, you know, a period of time, but generally fasting is always met more in a time of mourning and weeping, uh, especially throughout the old Testament. So the return and uh, the call for a return in verse 12 here, just as God's people have turned away from the Lord in their hearts. So also they will return to him with sincerity in full conviction. The Lord wants the inner uh, serenity, not just the outward show. He, the Lord's desire is always to be uh, changing of one's heart and not just merely outside. And, and really we can go to what Jesus says to the Pharisees in uh, the Gospels where he calls them whitewashed tombs. Uh, they're beautiful on the outside, extravagant and, and elegant and all these wonderful things. And they're, uh, you know, with a perfect little, you know, ensemble outside. But on the inside, they are dead and decaying in a box of bones, basically. So Jesus really hammers that out. And this is the... This is the same thing here in verse 13. Render your hearts and not your garments. So it's not about what you look like. It's And in fact, it's not even about what you do. It's exactly what is done on the inside. So as we continue here uh, into verse 14, we have Martin uh, Chements here. He was a Lutheran theologian on verse 14. This is what he says. In the area of temporal punishments, we must be hum- we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And let God be free either to punish or withhold punishment, totally or in part. God's real purpose in sending the disaster is a work is to work repentance in his people so that they might receive forgiveness and avert disaster. And it's interesting, uh, there's a gospel parable uh, that's used, I believe it's in like Luke chapter 13, if I remember correctly, uh, where Jesus is basically giving this demonstration, like is, is, who who suffered the harsher death? Was it the uh, the people that this particular tower fell on, or it was this other group of people that were persecuted by uh, the king? And and I'm just kind of paraphrasing this off the top of my head, but the I preached on that a while back, and and it, interestingly enough, it, it carries the same context that this particular verse here in Joel does because it's anytime we see a natural disaster or we we experience tragedy in our life it's an it's a sign of our impen, of our pending fate that we too will die at some time and so i preached a sermon this morning on at a funeral that you know death is always at the doorstep for us we we could leave this church and go home and on the way home get into a car accident and die. That's a reality we face. And we often try not to think about it because death is something that's really unfathomable uh, for most humans. But this is, uh, as we unpack these verses, it, it becomes quite obvious that God is using these disasters and these and this doom that comes as judgment to cause people to repentance so that they will turn from their wicked and idolatrous ways and turn to him. Uh, Athanasius writes this on verse 15. He says, when we fast, we should, we should hollow the fast for not all those who call upon the God, uh, hollow God. Since there are some who defile him, not just him, that is impossible, but in their mind, their own mind concerning him for he is holy and his pleasure and has pleasure in his saints. And so what Athanasius is saying is when we fast again, it should be something that's kept holy 
uh, as, as Joel writes here, it says, consecrate a fast, call an assembly, and then in verse 16, gather the people and consecrate the congregation. This consecration is entailing to have other people prepare themselves for worship by abstaining from work, food, and sexual relations. The people would also bathe and wash their clothes. And so this is a very sacred moment. And just as God's name is to be hallowed, this is a time of hollowing as well. So verses 12 through 17 here, in the light of the impending locust plague, Joel urges the people to repent of their sin and return to the Lord, offering the hope that he might relent and hold off the disaster when our own sins likewise kindle God's wrath and threaten to bring bring us under his judgment. Consider the question posed by Joel, who can endure the awesome day of the Lord? Thanks be to God, we have a Savior, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, who's already endured God's wrath and judgment for us. So that's the beautiful promise to the gospel once again, is the promise that Christ has already endured this wrath for us and that we no longer have to uh, stand in the wake of it. And so we have this, uh, the last handful of verses here. Um, we kick off the Lord having pity. Uh, Joel's prophecy sounds marked, markedly more hopeful. The Lord promises to show compassion for his people, even as they prepare to suffer the conse- natural consequences of their sin. Though the richly deserve, though they richly deserve the impending judgment, the Lord will not allow pagan nations to mock his people and denigrate the name of Yahweh, the one true God. And so it's interesting here uh, when I, and I talk about it all the time in my sermons and that um, when we uh, dig into kind of the, the, the notion of sin uh, we are freed from sin, right? The, we, we, we no longer are under the law in terms of the punishment that would come by our sin, but we are uh, not free from the consequences of that sin in this life. And so, you know, the, the Judeans are going to be preparing for the consequences of their sin. And uh, in the meantime, Joel's calling them to repent and do so. Uh, verse 23, vindication by sending badly needed rain instead of the locust invasion. The Lord powerfully vindicates those who placed their faith in his goodness. Uh, the early and latter rain refers to the seasonal patterns of, of precipitation on which Judean agriculture was completely dependent. When the spring and fall rains come in sufficient amounts, the people received a powerful reminder of God's trustworthiness. And again, we get this picture in verse 24, the thrashing floor. Uh, this is something that uh, Jesus uses as a parable, a parable in the New Testament, the thrashing floor, uh, which is an interesting kind of connection to it. Um, but here we see that the thrashing floors will be full of grain and not tares in the wheat. So uh, this is a an abundance, if you would. God is turning from his wrath that was coming for Judah, and he now has pity on the people and now turns to bless them. So among the dire predictions about a locust plague and famine, Joel assures the people that the Lord will not abandon them, or allow them to be mocked by pagan neighbors. To be sure, the Lord does not tolerate rebellion, and he fully expects us to sincerely repent of our sins. Nevertheless, when we return to the Lord, he is faithful and just, forgives us all of our unrighteousness. All right, these last uh, three or four verses here from 28 uh, to 31, 32, 
Uh, we've got uh, these last you know, four verses. The Lord will pour out his spirit. This is an interesting note um, as we kind of jump into uh, the New Testament in terms of who uh, Jesus says the, the spirit of the Lord is, and that's the Holy, Holy Spirit. Uh, so here's what Ambrose says on uh, verse 28. He says, who then dare to say that the substance of the Holy Spirit is created at whose shining in our hearts we behold the divine, the beauty of the divine truth and the distance between the creature and the Godhead, and the work may be distinguished from its author. God said, not spirit, but of my spirit. Here's what Phil Melanchthon says. The fact that he uses the word my shows that it is not some created movement which has been sent, but something of the essence of God. Further, it is necessary that he is a distinct person and not yet, and yet is not the father. So that is uh, crucial for us to understand that this is not a created uh, being. This is not uh, a, a, you know, anything that comes after this is coming from God himself. It is his spirit being poured out. So we've got Sorel of Jerusalem says this, let neither the rich be puffed up nor the poor dejected, but only let each prepare himself for the perception of the whole heavenly gift. That again is going back to verse 28. Uh, so the female and male servants uh, will be described essentially as those who are in the household. Again, slaves in that were not below the giving of uh, God's spirit to the people, even though I think in some cases uh, the church today especially deems certain peoples to be uh, not uh, relevant or not um, uh, they're not capable of accepting the gospel or they're not worthy of accepting the gospel. Uh, I think that's some big traits that really hammer out sadly in today's culture. But the beauty of this piece here is that the call of the gospel is for all people, not just those who the church deems worthy. So I want to kind of talk just quickly here on this passage back in 28. Uh, the sons and daughters shall prophesize. Your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, we, we can get kind of lost in this translation or in this, this scripture and really say, well, you know, in the end of days, then, you know, uh, all people will be given this. We have to understand that prophecy and dreams and visions and all that must always align with the word of God. And we must all be obedient to what we're, the word of God is giving us. And I can go on. We might do a whole show on the gifts of the spirit, but we're not going to get into it too deep on this one. But we have to understand the contextual importance that goes into this verse. And that helps us to uh, understand that Joel is not talking about modern Christians per se. He's talking to the Judeans here in this text. So uh, after the devastation wrought by the threatened locust plagues, the Lord promises to pour out his life-giving spirit. His purpose in doing so is to deliver the gifts of salvation. Knowing that the Lord's judgment may come any time, we should remain ever watchful and strive to be ready for that day. By his grace, the Lord enables us to do the very thing as we call upon Jesus' name and trust that he shall save us. And that, to me, is the beauty of this book. Uh, and really any Old Testament reading that we uh, get into is the the beauty that God will say that he's going to bring impending judgment to his people to pull them out of 
their sin, but he does so because he's a loving God, a merciful God, and he's, you know, long patient. He's long in mercy. I mean, because if we think about how many times Israel was disobedient, but not only that, we go all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve could have easily been dis- destroyed. You know, they could have been done away with. And there could have been, you know, we, we could have started over. God could have been like, yep, we're done with this new experiment. But instead, he is long waiting, patient, and merciful, and he continues to pour out his spirit upon the people. He continues to still send preachers into the world to call those to repentance. And that is how we are going to close chapter two. So a little bit longer episode, but thanks for tuning in. It was a little bit longer of a chapter. Uh, We'll finish up next week on chapter three. Until then, we will be back Tuesday with an interview with Brian Wolfmuller. And then we will see you all later. Have a great weekend. God bless. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.